0: The scripture lesson comes from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 27. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God.
1: Over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about the life of a disciple, how the life of a disciple is one that is very much oriented by a few key concepts. In the very first week, we actually talked about what discipleship is, to follow, to have somebody who's going to lead us and to follow, however, with the caveat that a disciple doesn't doesn't just follow their entire lives, they also end up becoming a leader to guide other disciples. I use the example of the blacksmith, you know, a blacksmith was once a disciple, and then they take on disciples in order to teach others how to be disciples of that trade, and they keep passing on that knowledge down generation to generation. The church is very much called to do the same thing as disciples. And these characteristics that line up the life of a disciple, we started with the L of life, which is learning. That's what disciples do. They learn. They grow in knowledge and wisdom. And it is by that learning that they're able to pass on the knowledge of their trade or practice or the experience that they're in. And then last week we looked at how disciples are marked by intentionality. That disciples don't just do life haphazardly. They're very intentional and decisive with the lives that they lead. They're very much living lives toward a particular goal, not just wandering around aimlessly, but disciples are intentional. And today we look at how disciples are different from just good students. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Good students are people who study, right? Teachers in the room probably agree. Good students are are people that study. Good students are also intentional in their studies. It's not like they just go wandering through the library, picking up whatever book they can find and, you know, read through it and say, well, I've studied, well, that's all I needed. You no, know, they're very intentional in the way that they study. However, there's one thing that, that marks a disciple as something different from just a good student. Because we have lots of good students uh, for Jesus in the world. Lots of people who do their study, lots of people who study intentionally. But a disciple is marked by the characteristic of fellowship. Notice that whenever Jesus starts calling together his disciples, he doesn't call one. He calls multiple, 12 even, be a part of his group, and we end up seeing that there are really uh, hundreds that end up being referred to as disciples apart from just the twelve, but there's this multitude. And Jesus does this particular model because he's not just simply looking to pass on knowledge to the next generation. He's looking to get that information, that knowledge, and more importantly, that way of life out into the world, and he does so with this pattern of fellowship. Because fellowship is uh, also, it's it's unfortunate that that word kind of gets lost in common vernacular. We don't use the word fellowship in daily life. It mostly applies to like church-related stuff. But it's such a rich word, such a good word. This word fellowship implies collaboration. It implies connectedness. It implies companionship, that there is this, uh, that there's this, Life that these people have chosen to learn and to be intentional with and to do so together. That's what it means to be a disciple. And of course, there's one more characteristic we're going to touch on next week. Uh, But it's done communally because we as individuals aren't very good at changing the world. Yes, we can make a difference. Yes, we can make an impact. But we as individuals aren't very good at changing the world, and that's what God has been trying to do from the very beginning. I love this quote from Mother Teresa. Always, a sermon's got to have a good quote in it, right? Mother Teresa's pretty high up there on the list. (laughs) She says, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples for right now, I want us to just consider that she says, I alone cannot change the world. Now, I don't know about you, but in my, uh, in my hierarchy of people who have done some pretty spectacular things in history, Mother Teresa is pretty high up there, right? I, th- I think we can all agree that she wasn't a bad person. <laughs> she did some pretty remarkable things in her life uh, and, and never did it boastfully or for herself. And even she says, I alone cannot change the world. We think about other people in history who have made uh, such dramatic impacts, uh, even people like Martin Luther King Jr., who you know, was a spectacular orator and was able to convey a message so beautifully, but it wasn't just him that ended up changing what the U.S. ends up looking like in the civil rights movement. It, were the, it was those people who said, this is an idea I want to get behind. It's in fellowship that we change the world. It's when we work together that we change the world. Whenever I was in uh, high school and, and part of college, every summer I worked with a group called Royal Family Kids Camp. And uh, this group has now had a name change, and I believe it's now called For the Children. Uh, but Royal Family Kids Camp is a, uh, a, a, an idea that children who are affected by relational trauma, and this really particularly impacts uh, children who are uh, in the system, children who have been uh, abused or neglected, children who have been abandoned, children who don't have much of a place to call home or much of a family to call family. Uh, these, and with these children, every summer, we would take them on a week-long camp-like experience. Uh, and the way that it was set up was just made to help the kids feel as loved and cared for and cherished as possible. And so every part of the camp was organized to do those kind of things. We would do all all these fun activities, we would eat meals together, Uh, we we would make every part of it so intentional for them to experience love and compassion. But there was one particular part of it that I thought was just spectacular, and it was the collaborative process of all of this. See, it wasn't like one child was paired with one uh, volunteer in this process. Instead, we had it set up in what were kind of like simulated family units. So there would be two camp counselors in a family unit and one what we called counselor in training. Uh, And then each of these uh, counselors, the main counselors would work with two kids. And so, you can kind of see this family structure. There are two counselors with a counselor in training and four kids, and this would be a family unit. We didn't call them family units because that has complicated implications, Uh, but that's what it was set up to mean so that there was this collaboration. The kids could spend time together and work together. The volunteers could work together uh, to help these kids feel uh, loved and cherished. And it was all set up with this idea that we do things together. Never alone, and that was the most uh, important rule at Royal Royal Family Kids Camp, is that there is never a moment where a child is alone, and there's never a moment where a child and a volunteer are alone. It would always be at least two volunteers with one child if that child needed to be alone for a time but the whole point was that they could feel loved, cared for and cared for and cherished in this safe space, apart from everything else happening in the world, and just experience life. And we would do all kinds of crazy things, like uh, going to the lake to go fishing and swimming, uh, playing games and activities outside, uh, doing story time and movie nights and all this exciting stuff every single summer for these kids, just so that they might feel cared for and loved. But again, I have to stress that one of the most pivotal aspects of all of this was the collaboration that went on uh, between all of the volunteers involved with the children. This emphasis on connectedness, this emphasis on companionship, that we do this together because we need each other. We as human beings, we are social creatures. And when we are left in isolation, really devastating things end up happening. I encourage you to go and uh, research the stories of individuals who have been uh, confined to solitary uh, isolation in prison. Their experiences are nothing less than traumatic. To be alone, confined for so long without other human contact, without anything else it's devastating to the human experience. We are made for each other. That's what we get to see in, the, in Genesis chapter two, where God creates a human being out of the dust. And God looks and says, there's something that's missing here. A person isn't made to be alone. We are made for connectedness, for companionship, for collaboration. We need each other. And so I want to go back for a moment to that uh, quote from Mother Teresa uh, in which she says, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the water to create many ripples. Now, when she's talking about this, she's referring to uh, the water as the systems and structures that exist in our world uh, that keep things the way that they are. And when she says one person casting a stone can cause ripples, what she means is one person can disrupt the system for a moment. But what happens to water after you've cast the stone across it and those ripples have gone around? It settles back down. It's just the same as it was. And there hasn't been this dramatic change. Now, if we had many people casting stones, that can greatly upset the surface of the water. I mean, imagine people standing around a pond and everybody throwing stones into it. All of a sudden, it's just this chaos on the surface of the water. But something happens. After they stop throwing their stones, the water settles back down again, right? Now, don't get me wrong, change has been made. It's just under the surface. All of a sudden, things have started to build up under the surface and there's now another layer of activity that's happening there. But now imagine that we have all those people standing around the pond, casting a stone, and they do it daily. And Every single day they come and cast their stones into the water and it disrupts the surface for for a little while, but what's happening underneath is a greater change and it keeps happening daily and daily. Many people coming back to this pond to cast their stones in Before long, that pond is completely transformed into an entire new structure. The surface of the water cannot remain still anymore because now all of these stones are starting to come out from the bottom of it. That's the idea that Mother Teresa was getting at when she says that I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast stones to make ripples. Those ripples are very important. And to have many people making ripples are even more important. But what our world needs are people who will show up daily to disrupt the surface of the water until the entire structure has been radically transformed, until everything about our world looks different in the face, as the face of Christ starts to show up in it. One of the stories that we use for Royal Family Kids Camp whenever we're going through our training for camp. And there's a lot of training that goes into it because you're working in very delicate situations. But one of the stories that we use uh, in this preparation is a story you've heard me say before. If you haven't, you've definitely heard this story before. It's about the starfish. A man is walking along the beach and he starts to notice that there are dozens, even hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of starfish that have washed up on shore and they're drying out in the sun. And as he's walking along, he sees a boy further off in the distance. And the boy is picking up the starfish and throwing them back into the water. And then he goes and picks up another and throws it back into the water. And another and picks it up and throws it back into the water. And the man reaches the boy and says, surely you understand that you cannot save all of these starfish. There's too many. And the boy says, you're right. And he picks down, reaches down, picks up another starfish and throws it back into the water and says, but I made a difference for that one. And then the man joins the boy, picks up a starfish and starts throwing them back. And suddenly he's in the fray as well. And this was the story that we used for Royal Family Kids Camp to say that if we can just make a difference in one of their lives, it's worth it. It's worth it. But imagine if everybody was trying to do that. Imagine if it wasn't just one person trying to make a difference in the life of another person, but if everybody was there trying to make a difference in the life of another person. Imagine if, on that beach, suddenly everybody who resides in the neighborhoods and cities behind that beach came down and picked up a single starfish and threw it back into the water. It wouldn't take long for the lives of each one to be transformed. See collaboration, connectedness, companionship, is what the church is all about. Simply imagine how the world could change if we started working together rather than obsessing over ourselves. Imagine how the world could change if we started focusing on the common good rather than my, good and what's good for me. We need, we need each other to change the world, and we need each other to change ourselves. Because you see, we are not the church without one another. We are not the church without one another. One person is not the church. Maybe that's controversial to say, but one person is not the church. Uh, consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. He says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Two people, now that's the church. Three people, that's the church. A whole bunch of people, we've got a church. We need one another as the church. We need this collaboration, this connectedness, this companionship in order to make a difference. Because you see, the, ch- the church from its very inception was designed to be a change agent for both the world and for those who are a part of it, who are a part of the church. However, the most transformational part of the church, the, hands down, no question about it, the most transformational part of the church is not the music. Jeannie, you do a beautiful job with the music but the music is is a feature that connects us to God. The most transformational part of the the church is not the sermon. It's just not. I would very gladly give up this time if we could structure the church in a different way, but I feel like that might ruffle too many feathers. The The most transformational part of the church is not the studies or the programming, anything else that the church could conceive to do. The, the most transformational part of the church is the fellowship. The studies become transformational whenever we're doing it together, whenever we're studying together and unpacking things together and working together. The programs become transformational whenever we have multiple people collaborating for the same goal. Children's ministries become transformational whenever we have children coming together to experience Christ and a group of volunteers who are there to pour into the lives of these children through fellowship. The music becomes transformational whenever we lift our voices together as one and we feel the Spirit moving in and through and among us. It's the fellowship that ends up transforming the world, us together, because we're social creatures. It's what we need. People being together, working together, learning together, growing together in the love and grace of one God, that is the church. Together. And so my challenge for each of us this week is to fellowship as disciples. To fellowship as disciples. And remember, disciples are those who learn and those who are intentional. But most especially, disciples are those who learn with intentionality together. That's what we're looking for. See, God doesn't need good students. It's great if you want to be a good student, and it can be really impactful to be a good student and really meaningful to be a good student. But just because we know all the answers. Just because we know the stuff, that doesn't lead to any kind of transformation for the world. God is looking for faithful disciples, people who collaborate in what they have learned, people who collaborate intentionally and connectedly through companionship to work together to change the world. Faithful disciples are those who learn and grow together. And I I suppose if I could make my challenge this week a little bit more specific, I would say, let today, this day, May 15th, 2020, let today be your last day of any form of solitary faith. And what I mean by that is, let us start growing in faith together, not taking on the task of being perfect disciples all by ourselves. It doesn't work that way. We're made for each other to be together, to work together, to grow together. So let today be our last day of any form of solitary faith because we need each other. We are not the church without one another and we are to transform the world while being transformed ourselves as we work together. And so I'm gonna give you a little bit of a spoiler for what's coming on Pentecost Sunday, which is in three weeks, if I did my math right, Pentecost Sunday is coming up. And that day, Pentecost is the day in which we celebrate the birthday of the church, the day in which the church was born into this world because the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples as they started making other disciples that wanted to fellowship together and grow intentionally together, and learn meaningfully together. On that day, we're going to be reviving an idea that we had first started putting into motion before this whole pandemic and hurricane and all that craziness. We're going to be bringing back life groups. Did you see the word there, life groups? Yeah, disciple life. It's all play on words. It's all very fun for me to think of these things. We're gonna be bringing back life groups to encourage everybody in our church to fellowship together, to be intentional together, to learn together. My dream for our church is that this time right here, this one hour on Sunday mornings, becomes a backdrop for everything else that we're doing. My dream for this church is that When people hear about Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church, the first thing they think about is they have some awesome life groups, people who are fellowshipping and learning and growing together. The second thing I hope they will think about is that's the church that always shows up in our community, in their little groups, people who are doing stuff that way. And then after that, I would love for them to think about that's the church that really knows how to worship together. But this will be the backdrop. I hope that our, that This understanding of fellowship and intentionality and learning can spur us on to be a church that is radically transformative in the Mobile community and radically transformative in the lives of each and every one of us. So let us acknowledge today that we need each other and we won't be the church without one another. And we are charged with transforming the world as we ourselves are transformed together. Let us pray.